1: Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low no power frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from
2: underground. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, low no precision. High crime, treason, we
1: broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street Morning Afternoon Edition. Commandeering airways from unknown positions. Live in direct, we never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the
0: main... Good afternoon, Madison. You are listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today, we are so fortunate to be joined by... Jen Rubin, who is hosting the Moth Story Slam Grand Slam. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm good, Ollie. Thanks for having me on. Um, I am really grateful that you get to spend this kind of first 15 minutes with us. We talked about the importance of stories and banned books on WORT 89.9 FM last week. Um, what can folks expect to see at this year's Grand Slam Story Slam? coming to us from the Moth, Jen?
3: Yeah, well, so it's this Friday, it's at the Barrymore. And this is the first one we've had since the pandemic. So the last one was in 2019. And so what happens at the Grand Slam is 10 people who've won uh, a story slam. So Danielle, who's with with me also. She was a winner, I don't know, like six months ago or something. They all um, will tell a story, a great story. And then we have Dasha Kelly Hamilton, who's the State Port Laureate, is going to be our host. And Yurel Lashley, if anyone's ever heard him drum, he's part of Drum Power, he'll be um, doing some drumming.
2: That
0: sounds like a pretty fantastic lineup and show. I'm a huge fan of Dasha Kelly. I'm a huge fan of Yarel, who's actually my neighbor. Um, I know you were thinking about bringing a couple storytellers with you today. Are you able to kind of give us a sample of a story? And Jen, you are an author of a book we featured on the show. You're also kind of a brilliant storyteller. Um, If folks aren't familiar with the moth, what should folks know about the stories?
3: Yeah, so actually, so, so Danny is here with us, so I'll let her, we'll, I'll let her talk in, in a minute. But so, yeah, if you haven't ever been to a moth or any story slam or any storytelling event, it's, it's, it's sort of like an open mic night where um, people put their name in a hat to tell a story on a theme. They've put together a five-minute story on the theme, and it's like the range of humanity. Who knows what you're gonna get? You're gonna get a sad story, you're gonna get a happy story, you're gonna laugh, you're gonna cry you're gonna see yourself in the stories. Um, and so I highly recommend, uh, well, certainly coming to a story slam, which is every month at the high noon, but the grand slam is like, you know that there are 10 very good storytellers. And so you're gonna hear 10 very good stories.
0: I appreciate like that there's kind of a quality control element of this slam because everybody who's performing has won a, a story slam in the past. Is that correct, Jen?
3: Yes, they have, and and so some of the folks won before the pandemic in twenty nineteen, and some have won after. So some have been waiting a long time to get on the big stage to tell at the grand slam, and some not as much. So,
0: how much does it cost to go to to see these stories at the Barrymore?
3: Okay, so, uh, I suppose so. I think it's like thirty dollars for the Barrymore. Is that right, Danny? Was, yep.
4: Yep, it's about $31 to, 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 to come and hang out with
0: us. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh,
0: But this is like, you get 10 stories. Seems like an okay deal. You get 10 (laughs) stories,
3: you get Dasha Kelly Hamilton, which, you know, who doesn't want that? And you get URL drumming.
0: So. All right. Danny, do you want to kind of tell us from your perspective, why you started doing the moth, why you're excited to tell a story? You know, what what it means to you to get to participate in the Grand Slam.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, w- it was a uh, invitation. So I had moved here in 2018, and um, one of our colleagues um, had insisted that I come to the monthly Story Slam. And at first, I was like, what? Like, I've never even heard of anything like this. I've heard of Poetry Slams before, but not a Story Slam. And so when I uh, uh, attended, I was really excited about it, had no intention on telling my own story. Um, but with a little prodding, um, I finally took the stage. In December 2021 um, and told a story um, of my journey um, moving from one end of the country to the other. Um, and I won. I was really surprised <laughs> um, because mm-hmm. I was—I didn't feel like I was prepared. But, um, you know, when it's your story, it's your story, right? So it's not a lot of preparation in telling your own authentic story. Uh, it's just trying to cram that amazing story into five minutes that was the challenge um uh, and so we did it and so now i'm here preparing for the grand slam um competing against nine amazing storytellers so i'm super nervous (laughs) but i'm ready i'm ready
0: you're gonna do do great what's the theme this year danny for for the slam what do you because every slam has kind of a, a theme that you that you you tell your story to
4: yeah, this year's theme is a blessing in disguise. Um, so I think that we all uh, could tell a story that aligns with that. And so I have an amazing story that I would like to share uh, on Friday. And um, I've been testing it out with my kids, you know, begrudgingly. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm I'm really excited about sharing it on on Friday.
0: Oh, that's so that's so exciting. And are your kids going to join you at the
4: slam? Yes, I have one of my daughters who's uh, coming in from Chicago, um, and the other two are not able to attend, but I do have some sorority sisters out there that will be in attendance to support their soror, um, as well as my daughter, so I'm super excited about that. I will say, whenever
3: Danny shows up to tell a story, or she's hosted once or twice, her soror sisters <laughs> definitely definitely show up. <laughs>
4: Anytime okay, shout it. out to your so. sorority sister. Yes, yes sorority our, shout out to Delta. Up. Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated
0: (laughs) what happens if you win this slam so you've won you know you won a slam in in Madison that means you get to go on to the Grand Slam at the Barrymore this week what happens if you win at the Barrymore
3: well so well bragging rights of course (laughs) so um, and then you then you get to go for free for the next year you and a guest to the Story Slam
0: Oh wow, that's like a very, very nice deal. Is there a, a national story slam or is it all local? So um, the moth,
3: like the moth headquarters is in New York City and they have a moth ball every year, which always looks super amazing. There's always like some famous person who's speaking. And when there was only a few slams in the country, the whoever won the grand slam locally would then get to go and shave their story down to one minute and they would have all the winners of the year but now that there's story slams in like 30 cities like they just can't do that just anymore. So, so um, bragging rights and uh, a year getting in for free with the guests. Very And very that's cool. and that's worth
4: it. That that free admission is amazing. It's amazing. So, I encourage people to tell their stories.
0: Who's judging? What qualifications does it take to decide whether or not a story is a good story? Like, well, last week, I, I started thinking, like, I hope one day I write a book that's good enough to get banned. Um, yeah. What what makes a story good?
3: Uh, well, so what makes a story good? Um, well, first of all, that it is a story. You know what I mean? That, like like, someone has taken their anecdote, we all have these incredible anecdotes, and taken the time to craft into a story. So there's, like, there's a beginning to it. You understand what the stakes are, you know, like... You know, a good storyteller can make making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich h- highly exciting. You know what I mean? So, so there's a so they've introduced themselves, so we know who they are. Why do we care about them? We understand where the story's going. There's a, mainly their stakes, um, and then at the end there's some sort of resolution. So like so we've all sort of learned something, or or the person telling the story we see a little bit of change or something. So basically that you sort of elevate an anecdote and you sort of craft it into the story. Um, That's how I see it. What, What do you think, Danny?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the things that I was um, fortunate enough to be a part of was just a little bit of coaching ahead of time. We had our state conference in December, and we invited Jen and some of her team members to come and help our colleagues craft stories and tell their own stories. And so I was fortunate enough to kind of sit into some of those sessions where they were really encouraging us to tell um, our stories from our scars and not our wounds. Um, and so that was another really big lesson that I learned and telling my own story because a lot of my stories come from really, you know, interesting experiences um, and but really trying to hone down on telling it from our scars and not our wounds um, really Mm. makes for a a really great um, story. So I definitely, you know, Um, I want to echo what Jen shared and then as far as the judges like our judges are typically people who've been to a story slam before um, and um, willing to be judges and so we're they're kind of randomly selected um, just before the show starts Um, and uh, some people are nervous about it others are not Um, and at the end of the show some some audience members may be mad at the at the judges (laughs) and some may be celebrated so it really depends Um, but it's typically someone who's judged or who attended a story slam in the past.
0: Y'all, I cannot thank you enough for joining us for the first little bit of the show and sharing the, the story slam. Jen, do you want to just remind the folks who are listening to WORT 89.9 FM, A Public Affair, um, you know, how, how they can attend the story slam, where and when it is? yeah so the
3: grand slam it's this friday 7 at the barrymore theater on atwood and um, there's still tickets on sale so you can go online to the barrymore and get it or you can go to the barrymore ticket outlets um and get it and so basically it's 10 of the 10 really talented storytellers in madison telling a story Dasha kelly hamilton wisconsin poet laureate will be our very great host and Urell ashley from drum power will be drumming and you don't want to miss it. It's our first one since 2019.
0: I agree completely. You don't want to miss it. Any chance you get to see Dasha Kelly is kind of the ultimate yeah. gift. Um, yeah. but then, you know, it's, it's her and it's a bunch of incredible stories. Jen, you'll be there. And that's always a treat. Um, I mean, yeah, what, what more could you want really? You. <laughs> so. I'm a huge fan of yours. Jen Rubin, Danny, thank you so much for joining us on the air. My next guest is Letitia Nelson. She is the CEO and executive director of the Goodman Center, which is located on Madison's east side. She joined the center in early 2021. For more than 20 years, Letitia has worked in nonprofit spaces focused on children. Thank you for being on the show today, Letitia. How are you doing? Thank you
1: so much. This is so nice. I'm like, this is nice. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just have a conversation like I'm on the phone with my best friend. So this is great.
0: <laughs> well, and it's really nice to hear from you because I'm like, I haven't seen you since we were hanging out together in St- I know, so I, is, which is crazy. Yeah, I'm I like, when are we?
1: When are we doing that again?
0: Oh, we'll we'll have to talk to Angela Russell about that, but I can't thank you enough for joining us on the air today. We also have, joining us to talk about child care in the workplace, Emily Edmondson. I'm sorry if I said your last name wrong, Emily, um, is the secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. She is responsible for the state and county programs that assist children and families. That includes child welfare, early care, education, and child support. How are you doing today, Emily?
2: I'm doing well. It's been a pleasure to listen. And now I'm sitting here wondering if I should take my kids to the Moth Slam on Friday night. That was my one question that I wanted answered is, can I bring my children?
0: I would say that my children would get in the way of my ability to enjoy that slam. But <laughs> how, old your, how old are your kiddos?
2: I got an eight and a 10-year-old. And I'm thinking maybe the 10-year-old might get, might get into it. Well,
0: and the great thing about The Moss, too, is that it's a podcast, so if you're curious kind of what the stories sound like, you can check it out online, Um, and then you can decide if it's age-appropriate for your kiddos, which is a nice way to kind of jump into this conversation about what young people need. Letitia, I invited you on the air today because Goodman did something that is really exciting. You all decided that you're going to provide free childcare to the folks who work for you, and I have to say... Um, I love my job. I love the Gay Straight Alliance for Safe Schools. Shout out to G-SAFE. And happy coming out day to everybody who is out and proud um, and everybody who is thinking about being out and proud, whatever that means for you, whatever your journey looks like. Um, but I really considered going to work for you because I spend a little over $1,600 a month um, to send my youngest kid to childcare. Leticia, can you talk to us about why it was important to you to start making sure that your staff um, had childcare included with their job, with their position at Goodman? You know, I think
1: this has been a conversation since I got here, um, just thinking about how we can support staff better, making sure that they're advocates for the programming and things that we provide here, and not always looking outward first. We should be looking inward first and, and lifting them up. And so it was it was a long journey to get to this point just to be able to say we're going to do more benefits for our staff and what does that look like? What do they need right now? And I would say that when we announced, well, first of all, when we did the research around how much it would cost, we found that in our budget, the money is already budgeted for. And so we didn't have to do any heavy lifting to make that jump. Um, it really was about how then would our staff actually um, ju- joint, jump in and benefit from it. And so we, we started talking about, okay, how would they apply and how all of these things. And then I was like, you know what, why are we doing all of that? Let's just sign them up like we sign up every other family that's here and let them participate um, and see how yeah. that feels. It was the best. I think it was the best thing that could have happened to us this year because it, it provided, a, you know, a way for families to be closer. You know, we spend, you know, you spend a lot of hours away from home um, doing the things yeah. that you have to do in the community. And and what better way to spend more time with your family than have your baby right across the street that you can go and have lunch with in the classroom if you want to um, oh. drop them off and just say mama's right across the street and show them where that is. That's that's a hard that's a hard sell in a lot of areas. Um, it was for me. It was for me. I was doing the same thing you're doing, spending $1,600 a month for one baby. Um, and it's yeah. a lot.
0: It's a lot. Oh, thank you so much for speaking to that. And I have to say, I so agree with the part of it that is like, this isn't just about prioritizing your staff's ability to support themselves and kind of the financial strain that childcare creates.
3: But mm-hmm. it's also
0: about supporting the The bond we have with our kids, and i'll mm-hmm. I'll say this, like, you know, as a person who works anywhere from fifty to sixty hours a week, anytime I could include my kids in my job. um, I did a fall fundraiser for a really long time, and my daughter would actually make videos with me because it would be a time where I was working all the time. Um, and I had to find a way to include my kids in it in order to spend time with them um, so I really appreciate you emphasizing like this isn't just about making sure you have free childcare this is also about making sure that you get to spend as much time as possible with your with your kid that you mm-hmm. know that we're cutting your commute in half that we're really right. you know thinking holistically about what this means for the people who work for us mm-hmm. Emily child care is a, a huge issue for for families what are you doing Within your role um, as as Secretary of Wisconsin's Department of Children and Families, to support families in in navigating affordable, high quality care for their kiddos.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this is this is huge, and I just want to say um, shout out to Lise keisha and the Goodman Center. I was so excited when I heard, um, and as somebody who lives right in the neighborhood, um, too. Actually, my my kiddo is going to be over there this afternoon. Letitia at Scratch so uh um thank you for all that you do over there um but just to to have to navigate this i mean i love being able to share um our stories as um as moms who have experienced um you know looking for trying to find that high quality affordable care i had the same experience that both of you did Um, As a mom looking for care, realizing that care for two kids under the age of three was going to be double my mortgage uh, and trying Mm -hmm. to find a place that also made me feel confident that my kids would be safe and loved. And um, and that's a that's a hard proposition. And, um, you know, I think what I'm seeing from my vantage point, obviously, um, child care was a really difficult industry pre-pandemic. Um, child, child care centers operate on razor, razor thin margins. Uh, the folks who work in child care centers often um, are making uh, 10 to $13 on average per hour, oftentimes without benefits, and um, you know, we all have the experience of paying double our mortgage to send, to send our kids. So, so the, the whole way of funding child care centers is really broken. It's destabilized. And, um, and so one of the things that we had the opportunity to do during the pandemic is to test out some new kinds of programs. Um, that that might help to stabilize the industry and maybe even grow the industry and also take uh, some pressure off families and and so that's everything that we're trying to do now um, through COVID relief dollars through programs that we're running out of the department um, is about how do we how do we retain the high quality early care and education professionals that we have working in the field right now we can't afford to close another center we can't afford to lose another excellent teacher from our classrooms and then how do we recruit more awesome people into this profession and then how do we expand the opportunity so it's sort of a threefold problem um i think what leticia is doing over at goodman she's retaining, she realizes that her staff make that program what it is. And so um, offering a program like this helps keep those high quality educators in this sector. We've seen so many folks leave the industry. We need to keep them in the sector. And so it's through programs like that. And we're actually running a program similar um, to, to what Goodman Center is doing. We're really trying to incent other businesses to to provide a little bit of the cost of care for their employees, and the state is going to pick up another chunk of it, and ultimately it ends up being free child care for the employees. And this is a program called Partner Up um, that is really taking off across the state, and it's programs like the Goodman Center program that we've really tried to model our program on for other businesses. Oh, Emily, that
0: was all incredibly helpful to, to hear and to think about. I, I feel like I really often wonder why we don't have public child care similar to public education. Um, we we are living in a state right now where it is a felony to have an abortion, um, and, and yet we don't have the basic supports people need to raise a family we don't you know people in our state are not entitled to health care they're not entitled to child care um, you know there's there's no expectation around things like maternity leave um, so so really I think it's really amazing when an, an employer says hey this is what I can do to support my staff um, but I think as, as a member of you know as somebody who's serving, a role within our government, I think our government has a different responsibility to, to make sure people have what they need, especially um, when we have a government that has criminalized abortion in our state um, and people don't have the option of not being parents with safe and legal abortion in Wisconsin. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about kind of what our government's responsibility is right now to support parents and families and kids?
2: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more um, that, you know, I really think uh, whether it's K-12 education or whether it's the kind of family support programs that are so important in that birth to five space, um, we cannot rely solely on on, on either federal funding or, um, or hardworking families to um, to to, to get this job done, we need state investment, we need state funding. And that's one piece of the three-legged stool that we do not have right now in early care and education. So you brought up K-12 education. K-12 education has a huge influx of state funding behind it. We get very, very little state funding behind early care and education. There's a big chunk a- of federal dollars that comes from uh, that comes you know through our subsidy program and that's and that's for um, folks who make below a certain income threshold. But outside of that for for the longest time, it's been seen as, well, you chose to have a child. it's your. Uh, it's your decision whether you want to stay home or whether you want to work. And if you want to go to work, you have to find yourself some childcare. And I think that that public conversation is shifting. I think that more employers and more communities are stepping up. And I think the pandemic really laid this bare to say, if we don't solve through the backbone infrastructure pieces that help people work in our communities, we're 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 going to see towns uh, dry up and, and die on the vine. It's, it, 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 it's not going to be um, possible for families to actually have families in, in cities and towns across the, across the state. So it, I think mayors and chambers of commerce and business leaders are stepping up and saying, we have to solve through this problem at the community level. And one of the ways we can do that is to get more state funding behind early care and education. Mm-hmm. Can I add
1: to that? Um, so the other thing, too, that I think should be happening is that we need to be thinking about the folks who provide a service for our families um, as a as more as a a luxury. And we don't we don't pay them like it's a luxury. We pay them like they're at the low end of the totem pole. And that's also an issue creating a, a wage um, increase across the board. With people who actually work with our children, not only in daycare centers and preschools, but also in the K through twelve space, is so important. I was so in, so excited when I saw MMSD say that they're going to pay five more dollars um, to the teachers, and then I got a little upset because I'm like, where where have you been? Like this is this is part of the reason why we continue to lose staff in these critical areas that is support to our families who are out there working every day is to have teachers and daycare center teachers and preschool teachers come and make sure that you can go and work your job every single day, but we're not making enough money or we're not providing a space for them to make enough money to make it where they can thrive instead of survive every single day. And so, yes hands off to MMSD for giving the $5, but we need to do more than that. And it needs to be across the board. And I think that our state and our federal government can help us do that. It's just about us making loud enough voices for it to happen. Um, they give million dollar, you know, grants to people who, not, who are not doing as much work, you know, and, and we have to jump through but hoops to get I, I the have- money to be able to serve our staff.
0: I have to thank you for really emphasizing the importance of compensating people par- yeah, fairly, of yeah. making sure that people have a living wage and a competitive wage within these mm-hmm. roles. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit. One, because MMSD didn't give a $5 an hour raise to teachers. Teachers are not hourly workers. The $5 oh. an hour was for our clerical staff, our security okay. staff, um, our our, our uh, cafeteria folks, our food services folks. Okay. Um, and our SEAs and our EAs, who are educators in the classroom, um, but often are not referred to as teachers. Okay. Um, I, I also want to push back on the idea that the the state gives a, a tremendous amount of funding to K through 12. Um, the vast majority of, of funding that goes to our schools in a, in a community like Madison um, comes from our local tax base. It comes from people's uh, property tax. Okay. Um, and so... You know our state is is not doing well when it comes to supporting people in terms of childcare. It's also not this is not a great state right now um, through K for through 12 education. I, I want to mm-hmm. say hats off to Tony Evers. He's recently made some very significant investments in education. He c- continues to advocate as our governor um, that education is not a, a partisan issue, but that what's right for our kids is right for our state. What's what's right for for young people is what's right for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I wanna ask, now that we've been talking for a little while here on W O R T eighty nine point nine FM, I want to remind folks I'm your host, Sally Baldro, and today we're talking with Letitia Nelson, who is the executive director of the Goodman Community Center. And we're also talking to Emily Edmondson, who is the secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. Mm-hmm. Um I wanna aim my next question at you, Letitia. Now that you all are are, you know providing daycare to staff are you seeing more people apply we're we're seeing you know staffing shortages in every area of business across the board um was part of the reason you wanted to do this was to attract people to Goodman um for employment opportunities and is that working
1: We haven't seen it. We just did it in September. And so it just happened with our new budget year. But I will say that we are hearing a lot from the outside with people who want to be teachers um, and uh, they are applying. But of course, you know, you have to go through the, the process. The other thing that we're also seeing is that, you know, with COVID, a lot of people decided that while I've been a teacher for 20 years and you might need me, I'm probably going to go and do something that I really want to do because this is a time for me to do what I want. Um, and so we have lost teachers to that end, but we are also losing teachers because we're not paying them enough. Um, and I think that we, as we continue to try to offer different benefit packages or different benefit options, we can bring teachers in that are going to stay, that really wanna do the work. And they are just like the other folks that you mentioned for MMSD. Um, They are the lowest paid folks in the the workforce. And we just have to continue to lift them up and provide creative ways to benefit them um, so that they will stay. Um, and have some longevity with our companies, especially when we're we're taking care of the, the most crucial little ones, right, who are gonna be the future. And so it's really important that we give them what we can give them. We can't give them what they're worth, but we can pay them what they deserve,
2: so. Leticia, how, Leticia how, can, I, can I ride on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so I, I really, I think that in this economy right now, Treating childcare like a benefit at almost like a, you know, like health insurance um, is really, really attractive. I was at a business um, in Stevens Point last week who is taking advantage of our partner up program. So they're, they're using our program to offer free childcare to their, uh, to their employees. They kick in a little bit uh, and then the state picks up the rest uh, of the tab and they've got about 15 or 18. Families participating in this, and this is a manufacturing company, and um, they have also invested in a free clinic in their uh, in their facility, and um, and so folks are able to like just pop downstairs to get their flu vaccine or get their annual checkup. Um, You know, it's 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 made nice and easy for them, and those two benefits are um, are really like sort of their market advantage they mentioned that they compete with another manufacturing facility down the road who pays two dollars an hour more and they're able to recruit and retain because of those two benefits that they offer to families and so like that's the story that we want to tell i was up in ashland recently at a child care facility that's using the partner out program i talked to two child care workers in classrooms that were beneficiaries. So not only were they working in, you know, in classrooms, but they were also participating in the, in the partner up program. So they were receiving free childcare. One of them was pregnant, um, with a third child. And she said, I absolutely would have left the workforce. There's no way I would have been able to have three little ones in childcare. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that, that benefit, thinking about the benefit um, that as a business you have when you are able to retain your talented staff that you've trained, that know your business, that understand the, the organization, um, that's really valuable in this economy. Because I think that churn aspect of folks who are just leaving and then you've got to recruit and train up and onboard folks. It's a real drain on the organization. So whatever we can be doing to offer the kinds of family-friendly benefits that keep people um, that keep people in this, this high-quality early care and education industry, it's going to be really important for our, our whole community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And I just want to ask a follow-up question, Leticia. What percentage of your staff are taking advantage of the free child care at Goodman for employees?
1: Right now, it is about 13% of our staff. We have and probably about 113 or 115 staff that are part-time or full-time. And it, you would have been amazed at when we announced it, how many staff were actually pay, going somewhere else and putting their babies in other programs. One of my staff actually came up and was telling another staff that with this, they would save $13,000 a year in childcare costs. And so that's $13,000 not coming out of the kitty for their entire family that they can use to continue to thrive in the way they want to. Um, not the way that the system is set up that they can't, you know? So it, it is just to hear that was like, oh yeah, it was worth it. And we should have, uh, thank God we're doing it now, but I wish we had done it a long time ago. I wish we were, I wish that other people were doing something like this and similar. And it's great, Emily, that you're saying that you have the partner program because I had never heard about it, but I'm going to now be telling everybody that I know who have staff and, and that, staff have children, that they could do something that would benefit their staff in this way. It's really important.
0: I I can't agree with you enough that this is incredibly important. And the other thing mm-hmm. that I think is amazing about what you're doing is I I drive 45 minutes away from my job to take mm-hmm. my kid to child. Try- I mean, I, I go to another town in, Ma- another town in Dane County um, because it is so hard to get your kid into child care, especially if you have a kid who's under two, if you have a really little baby. Um, and I, I have a one-year-old. And so the, the convenience of being able to take your kid to child care where you work, to spend less time in the car with your kid um, just feels like such a, such a no-brainer, such an obvious mm-hmm. thing to do. Emily, mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents really like. It's hard to drop. I mean, I, if you remember that first time you dropped your kid off at childcare, there's kind of nothing like it. It is, um, it's it's really a hard thing to like leave your baby with somebody you barely know and go to work all day. What do you say to parents if they if they say, "How do I know a childcare is a high quality space for my kid? What should I be looking for um, for a childcare center?" Um, that, that serves, you know, early childhood.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna give you the bureaucrat answer and then I'm gonna give you the W O R T listener <laughs> answer. And um, and I think it's somewhere in the middle, honestly. And I'm speaking from, you know, from the vantage of somebody who had to do that. Um, so we do have we've got a quality uh, rating system. It's called Young Star. I'm sure Leticia knows all about it because, um, because Goodman's a highly rated program, um, but it's built on a five-star system. And so you can go on and you can look up if you're doing your research and you're trying to find, you know, that that right place. We've got a child care locator on our website and you can go and you can look and see you know, if a program is, is rated um, well, and you can look up and see any kinds of infractions that that program might have incurred in the last couple of years. And so you can, you know, you can do your research and you can do your homework that way. Um, but what I always tell to friends and what I tell to, to parents um, when they ask me this question is you also have to listen to your gut. You also have to get in that center, and, um, and, and look, look at the classrooms and um, meet the teachers and, and feel what it feels like to be there and look at the faces of the babies that are there and, um, and ask yourself what's important to me, because you're right. If I, if I am going to leave my kiddo for 40 hours a week, it, it's not just about whether or not, you know, whether or not there was a full diaper bin, uh, you know. Uh, in the corner when the licensor came through, which, you know, might have incurred an infraction or something like that. Um, It's more about, is my kid going to be loved? Is my kid going to be loved for who they are Um, in the center? Are the teachers here? Do they want to be here? And do they want to know my kid for all that he or she or they are? Um, And I think that that is... um, that was most important to me. Um, I definitely had a wild roller coaster of an experience as a mom, and um, it didn't to me it mattered less if the center had three, four, or five stars. Um, then did my did I feel comfortable every day leaving my kiddo there? Did my kiddo wake up in the morning and say, "I want," you know, "I feel good about going here." Um, did they seem happy when I went to get them? So those are the things that I would say are most important for me. The one thing I will say is if the center has three or more stars, um, we've done research reports that show that if a center has three, four, or five stars based on our quality rating system, um, that they're gonna get the same positive benefits, high quality impact that any high quality center would have. And so I always tell my friends, you know 3 4 and 5 star centers you should check them all out they're all you know they're all worth checking out and it's about fit and it's about what you want in that high quality center
0: would you say that two or one star two or one star centers you should try to avoid or is there something that happens where if you have two stars you're shut down until you improve what does it look like when when you go into a, a daycare or a center and say, "Oh wow, this is not a safe place for kiddos"?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, so on the on the YoungStar rating system. Um, there is no such thing as one star. Um, really, one star just means you're not rated yet. And so two star is sort of where you come into the system. And um, what two star means is, I mean, we're, we're educators, right? So it just means that um, you need to continue to build your program. And usually it means that um, you might need Uh, You might need to attract more high quality or more educators that have more credentials behind um, behind their their degree. And so, you know, there are different factors that go into um, to climbing that quality ladder. But I absolutely would um, would say that's where it comes into place a two-star center by no means is like oh my gosh avoid um, it's a little bit more of like they might have just opened their doors they might still be an emerging program they might still be building um, and so it's just a little bit of like consumer reports but at the end of the day um, i i really advise people to go check out and see what feels good to them I think that, um, when it comes to safety and when it comes to, I mean, I do think that our, our young star, um, rating system where you can look up infractions and things like that, it, it will tell you if there are safety violations, um, you know, and by and large, um, most of the things that you would read on there are really on the, are really on the health side. Um, but every once in a while you might see an infraction that gives you some pauses as, as a, as a parents. And that's something that you've got to kind of think about. And, um, and I would just say, you know, it's word of mouth. Like, I I mentioned, I live in the same community um, that that the Goodman Center is. Um, When I walk around, and I go to the parks, and I talk to the mamas, like, I know the Goodman Center has a great reputation. And so, you know, I always encourage, like, if you're looking to find out where the the excellent um, child care programs are, go to the park, talk to the, talk to the families at the park. They'll tell you. Um, and you know, that, that word of mouth, that buzz is really important, I think as well. Well, and I just want to say, you
0: know, if you are looking at places, it does not hurt to get yourself on that waiting list, um, as soon as possible. I tell people, I tell my friends now when they're pregnant, like, where, where are you thinking about for child care? When are you thinking about childcare? Um because it's not like you can decide, okay, I'm done with my maternity leave and all of a sudden there's just a child care spot open and waiting for you. It is really competitive to get your your kiddos in into childcare. Um, Letitia Goodman does have a, a program that people, Love, and I'm I'm also in that neighborhood. I'm a few blocks away from you. I'm currently on your waiting list for two of my kids. Uh, just for my just for my own information, and you know, for for the folks listening, how long do people usually hang out on your waiting list before their kids get into your programming, either for after school for elementary school students or for childcare? And your childcare starts um, at the age of two. Am I correct? At at the age of three. Okay.
1: Yep, at the age of three, and I and I would say that that waiting list was very long when I first, uh, you know, got here. And what's happened is because COVID was taking its time, people went other places, and so we went through going. Um, going through our waiting list to try to get started, but because of staffing and opening up all the classrooms, that's what's holding us up now. We have two classrooms that are not open due to not having the, the staff that we need for those classrooms. Um, so we do have a little bit of a waiting list for our younger and our after school because of two classrooms not being open. But other than that, we try to move through that waiting list um, a couple of months before it is time for us to get opened and enroll for the New season. Um, and so I could see that people who have been on the waiting list being contacted over the next couple of months to to get their babies in.
2: And oh, Leticia, so the story that you tell about um, classrooms sitting closed because you can't find workforce, yeah. that is something I'm hearing all over mm-hmm. the state. And, you know, Ali, to your point, the um, it's really typical to hear that it's the infants and the ones that are, um, that are really, really, you know, where you, where you are having to drive to a different town to find that, that spot um, for your infant or your one-year-old. Um, and so we see that in a lot of centers where it's those earlier years that are waiting lists a mile long. And then um, three fours and fives. There's maybe a little bit more flexibility, but I think the issue we've got right now is around workforce. And yes. I'm wondering, Letitia, if you um, if you guys are planning to recruit off of that benefit, like um, the the child care benefit, like is that something that you're gonna be planning on using as you try to staff up those two rooms?
1: We are currently using that as, as a way to recruit. The other thing that we do, which is a little different than other centers who have three-year-olds coming in the door, we have what's called the PAC program. And that program actually teaches those who want to get into child care um, through, they, it takes them through the certification process and our director of child care, currently Miranda Starr, she actually is one of, I believe, four um, folks in the state of Wisconsin who actually pre- do that program and so through that we're able to recruit that way too because we're taking them through the program they have to come in and be in our center and spend some time as well and then that way she has she can pull from those staff from those folks who go through certification as staff and we have gotten since i've been here four staff through that program that she's doing Um, and so we're hoping to you know, we've been in partnership with other community centers to, to run this program and it, and it is available. It's all online. So if there's folks out there who want to become teachers or want to get into the childcare space, this is a way for you to learn all the benefits of doing that as well as getting that certification done. And it's also almost a preliminary interview to you actually landing a job already. So it, that's another way that we're recruiting.
0: Emily, Leticia, I cannot thank you both enough for, for, you know, what what you're bringing to this conversation, but I don't think you can have this conversation without talking about gender and gender roles. Um, mm-hmm. The Madison Metropolitan School District Superintendent, Dr. Carlton Jenkins, has talked frequently, and I want to give them a lot of credit for this, about how education is a major contributor to the wage gap. That basically, mm-hmm. because um, women are the majority of the workforce and education, that we feel more comfortable paying them less. Um, because we associate taking care of kids and educating kids with the role of women, um, we, we don't feel like we have to pay college educated people who are working with our children a professional wage right. um, can you talk a little bit about the the gender dynamics that exist within childcare and education and emily i want to start with you because i'm really curious within your role um you know for for the state of wisconsin how you are addressing this and how are how are you challenging the way gender has influenced compensation when we're talking about childcare?
2: Yeah, I, I'm really glad you brought this up. I mean, it, it's 100% feels, I mean, it's it's honestly, it's the same story that we've heard in, in K-12. Um, and now, you know, we can see it as part of early care and education. But yeah, um, typically, any early care and education um, center that I'm in, uh, if I see if I see a male taking care of um, of the babies, I kind of run over and swarm him and say, like, what what drew you into this profession? Like, good for you. You know, we need more. We need more young men taking care of um, of our young ones. And um, and so we're trying to do there's actually an awesome program um, out of Milwaukee Two two program one called um One called um, the Leading Men Fellowship and another called, let's see, what is it called? It's called like Phoenix Rising or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And these are programs specifically recruiting young men into the profession um, out of high school. And and really, you know, kind of a grow your own program um, through the high schools. And it has been so inspiring to like see Young men in early care and education classrooms, particularly with the little, um, the little three-year-old and four-year-old boys, who are just like so proud and so excited to see um, young men as caregivers. It's mm-hmm. exciting. Now, I think like the flip of that though is, I agree. I think that our economy, I think that our, our society has accepted a uh, lower wage um, in this industry because it was it was always seen as babysitting it was always seen as you know oh the thing that anyone could do you know or the person down the street i think that people need to really understand as you pointed out ali that um folks in this industry are highly credentialed highly educated mm-hmm. and that they the training that they have put into their own education to be early care and education professionals matters and actually bears out in gold standard research, um, you know, so kids, kids who are in high quality centers with high quality early care and education educators are, um, are more likely to do all sorts of great things in their lives because of that, um, of that amazing experience that they had. So I could not agree more. We we need to keep pushing at this, but I think it starts with a conversation um, with, with, with how we talk about the field they are educators Mm -hmm. first and foremost yes they are uh, I could talk to you two forever, but we've
0: got two minutes left. And so I, I want to ask Letitia a very similar question in terms of how does how does gender impact the way we have this conversation? But also, how does race impact? I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a black woman. I started babysitting when I was 11 years old. Um, Childcare has been associated with black women and unskilled labor, the unskilled labor of black women, uh, for centuries in this country. Leticia, how how do you kind of deal with that dynamic um and you know confront that history and correct where where we're at because of that history
1: well you know that's a hard, that's a hard task but we do it very we do it little bit at a time you know talking to my staff about as they're bringing and in interviewing the folks that are going to be overseeing our children and educating our children, how are they partnering with those people to make sure that they have the training they need? Because we have probably about 80% of our youth are of color um, in our programming. And so how do we make sure that they can see people that look like them, that the ones that are not the same color as them, that they understand where they came from, that they understand what systematic issues that have been in the this country for a long time how that affects them when they're teaching and are in front of our children and so we work on that like every day all day that we we're bringing in training to make sure that there's some sensitive sensitivity around culture and 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 some of the systematic racism pro- problems that we have specifically in Wisconsin that have been um in our in our community forever and so we talk about that that's something we have to openly talk about and and keep course directing around so that we can do the best that we can for those families and making sure that they're in the right spot when they come to Goodman. So it's important.
0: Y'all, I could talk to you about this so much more, especially because during the pandemic, we really saw uh, gender play a huge role in who got to keep their job and who stayed mm-hmm. home with the kids.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, and in some ways, it, it created these really significant um, shifts in progress that women have made in the workforce. However, we are running out of time here today on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Malgo. This is a public affair. Happy coming out day to everybody who's coming out, has come out, will come out. Um, And thank you so much to all of our guests today, including including... Danny, Jen Rubin from The Moss, Leticia from Goodman Community Center, and Emily with The State, thank you all for for sharing your wisdom and your story and letting us know how we can do this work together locally. Folks, if you're listening, um, I hope you tune in next week for a great show. Thanks for listening to WORT 89.9 FM.